Father, we thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be here at this powerful, wonderful light house called Bethesda. Thank you for this anointed Sunday morning. Thank you for all those who are here. Many have come, even though they face challenges at home, face challenges in their lives, but they're here. And I recognize, God, even as I stand here, that I'm not smart enough, eloquent enough, articulate enough, or wise enough to speak to these people. They don't know me. I don't know them. And so, God, I recognize that I'm not qualified to stand here. So I ask that from this point forward that I not say another word, but that you speak through me to us. Speak a rhema prophetic word that our lives will be changed. Father, we need to hear from you. And Father, as we hear from you, we rebuke every demonic spirit that comes to hinder your word. Satan, the blood of Jesus, rebuke you even right now. Every distracting spirit, every hindering spirit, every competitive spirit is rebuked. And Father, even as you speak, someone will be healed in their body. Somebody's mind will be freed and changed. And somebody will be filled and refilled with the spirit on this morning. And we give you glory and praise for what you have already done. Thank you for Pastor Dan, his wife, the leadership team of this church. Thank you for a church that is really engaged in ministry in this area and throughout the world. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a blessing to be here. What an honor to be here on this morning. Um, I know many of you are very disappointed because your pastor is not preaching. He's a great preacher. I'm disappointed. I could have just sat here and listened to Pastor Dan this morning. Um, but I'm honored to be here. I honor him. He's a phenomenal man of God and doing great things. You are blessed. You are blessed to have such a great man of God. My wife sends her greetings to you. She's not with me, which leaves me at a disadvantage. Um, and yes, God has blessed us with 11 children. Those are our biological children, not accounting the ones we've adopted and, and spiritual children. I'm so grateful for that, and I'm so grateful for God's provision. If I had time to tell you, um, some people say, wow, you have too many children. But when I was 13, playing American football, I'm American, but playing football, forgot I'm in Texas. I don't have to say American football. Yeah. <laughs> this is Texas. Yeah, I was playing football, got an injury, and they said I would never have children. And God has made them a lie 11 times. <laughs> Amen. So I'm glad about it. I, uh, I'm, I'm in awe of what God has for us on today, and I want to share with you, if you can, uh, from the book of 2 Samuel, a scripture that is not often discussed, but I believe it is relevant for these times that we live in. 2 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to start at verse 15. Why are you turning there? If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure they'll have it on the screen. What an awesome music ministry this church has. Wow. Man, I was, I was so blessed. I did something I don't usually do. I pulled out my phone and got on Facebook and went Facebook Live so my wife can see you guys. Yeah, I really did. I just, the only problem is I just hate I didn't do it sooner. Yeah, I said, I'm at Bethesda in Fort Worth. Check this out. And um, I just imagine that's how heaven sounds. I just imagine that's how heaven sounds. I was able to go to the Swahili service today. What a church. You guys, Swahili, Spanish, French, uh, um, Spanish, uh, Burmese, Burmese. And I, what, what language am I missing? Korean. And there's one more. Oh, English. Yeah. It's just, man, what a church. It's just phenomenal. And I shared with the people, I, I'm, I'm from Detroit. I'm born and raised in Detroit. Um, and so I just shared with them. I, I, I wondered why God had me study Swahili. I read, write, and speak Swahili and then moved me to South Africa, which made no sense because there's no Swahili in South Africa. But um, the reason was I was coming to Bethesda. Yeah, that's what it was. So I was okay. All right, I gave you time to find it now. Second Samuel chapter uh, 21, verse 15. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. And then we're going to go from there. It says, when the Philistines were at war against, again with Israel, 
David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbi Binob, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zedariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebachai the Hushite killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jare Orgiam, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. This is God's word. I want to share with you just for a few moments that the fight is not over. The fight is not over. We read this text, and it's a phenomenal text, and I believe that it fits us today because we're in a fight. Many times as we have, I don't know, I know at varying levels of individuals in here, maybe you've been born again for many years, and maybe you've just come to Christ recently, or maybe um, you're not sure, and you're seeking to find out whether uh, God and Christianity is the way for you. Wherever you are, I need you to know that we're in a fight here in America and around the world. It used to be a time that you had to really articulate and, and share and help people to see and understand, but I think it's pretty easy and clear for us to see in many varying ways that there's a fight amongst us. There's fights in our own lives. There's fights in our families. There's fights in the neighborhoods in which we live in. There's fights in our nation around the world, and we see it. Reminds me, though, sometimes we forget about it because we have the tendency to be like a commercial I saw on television. This commercial was unique and interesting, and I don't know, uh, my brother, but uh, you're the guy on TV. But uh, yeah, this commercial on television was unique and interesting. They had trash that they put behind a couch, and it was dirty, rotten, maggot-worthy trash, but they sprayed a product around the room. And when they sprayed the product around the room, they brought people in the room blindfolded and said, do you smell anything? And they, they took a deep breath and said, no, it just smells like flowers. Then they had the same product, had put trash in the back seat of a car, and they put their product in the car, and then they put people in the front seat, and they asked, do they smell anything? And they said, no, I smell nothing. And it really bothered me because I believe it's a subconscious manifestation, a microcosm of what's happening in our society, that they were telling us a message that, you know, if you really don't want people to smell your trash, cover up the smell. Now, I don't know where you're from. By the way, uh, my family, I told you I was born in Detroit. My family is from Atlanta, Texas. So, yeah, my family from Atlanta, Texas. So I feel like I'm at home. And uh, that's East Texas, near Texarkana. And so I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, if you don't want your house to stink, if you don't want your car to stink, you don't cover it up. You get out the source of the stink, and you move it out. You clean it out. You don't just cover it up. You clean it up. You get rid of the source. And so that's my purpose today is not to give you something flowery just to cover up and just to make everything smell okay and be okay, and after a few hours, the stink comes back. But that we can be free on today. We, my brothers and sisters, many times are told, or we're not told it. It's not preached from the pulpit, not this one. I listen to Pastor Dan Smith many times preaching on your website. He blesses me. We're not told that when you become a Christian, everything is going to be okay and all problems are going to be gone. But sometimes, some way, in, deep in our subconscious, we kind of believe that everything's supposed to be okay. And I became a Christian not to fight and everything should be well. 
But that's not really the case. Indeed, my brothers and my sisters, Jesus said that I did not come to just kick it and hang back, but I came to start a fight. I came to bring a fight against the kingdom of darkness. And we see now that the kingdom of darkness is advancing itself and becoming bolder and bolder right here in front of our faces. Oh, we see it. Many people, we see what happened in Florida with the school, the high school and the the shootings that happened in high school. And people are arguing about gun control. And I believe that there should be some looking at what happens and who can get access to guns and things of the sort. Sure. But nobody talks about the control of the 3,664 children that are killed on a daily basis. 17 children were killed in Florida and it's very bad. But no one talks about on a daily basis, 3,664 children are killed in what we call the right to choose abortion clinics that are planted all across America. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about it. And when they brought out abortion clinic control, the same politicians who talk about gun control flatly pushed it away and said, no, we need to have this. Even though they've made billions and billions of dollars on, on killing children. Almost 60 million babies killed in the United States since 1973. Count that. 60 million children have been killed since 1963. And for those of you who are here and you've been to university for five minutes and you say, well, it's not a child, that's the same thing they said about my grandparents and my parents' parents. They said we were not human either as black people. They said we were three-fifths of a person. And the same arguments that kept slavery in are the same arguments that keep abortion alive today. And so, so for you to say it's not a child and a woman has a right to choose, slave masters had a right to choose what they did with their property, and we were their property. But somebody, there were some Christians who did not listen to the experts. There were some Christians who followed the Bible and not the experts and said, enough is enough, and they took the fight and changed the laws. One day we will recognize that there are people being destroyed from a demonic plot and the fight is not over. 1.5 billion people worldwide since 1980 that have been killed. And much of it is rooted in the book that was written by Charles Darwin that is still taught in schools today. Thank God for the founding uh, principle of the school here. God bless you, woman of God. We honor you. So glad that there's a place for Christian parents to come. The book by Charles Darwin on the original species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favorite races in the struggle for life. That's the full title of the book. They just said origin of species, but it's really about favorite races. Yeah, which means evolution is the most racist uh, theory there, out there. But many people call themselves loving people. They still teach evolution. And so we find ourselves in desperate times, not only with life, but desperate times in family. And it's time for us to fight. It's time for us to fight, but we got to fight God's way. You saw in Cincinnati just last week, there was a mother and father, parents, Christian parents, who were stripped of their parental rights. They were stripped of their parental rights because they would not sign off on their daughter's, uh, what do you call it, gender hormonal transition therapy. And so they were removed of their parental rights. There's a fight against family. There's a fight against life. There's a fight against God. And so when I read this text, the reason why I read this text, my brothers and sisters, is to remind you that the fight never goes away. You know, it's interesting uh, that we talk about David. Man, when David killed Goliath, That's a phenomenal text. We go back to 1 Samuel. Man, that's phenomenal. He came. He was the pizza delivery boy because he was sent there. And father told him to bring cheese. You remember? His daddy told him to take cheese to his brothers. And because he was faithful taking cheese, they said, what are you doing here? And you know the story. He ultimately killed Goliath with one smooth stone. And God took him down. He chopped his head off and he won. And we talk as if it was over. But there were many battles to fight since then. Now, for many of us, God has brought us out of so many things in our lives. Lord knows that he continues to wash my heart, continues to wash my mind, continues to wash my spirit. But the fight is not over. I cannot stop fighting for my marriage just because I'm happy now. I cannot stop fighting for my children even when they're on the honor roll. 
I cannot stop fighting for my family. I cannot stop fighting in this church. You cannot stop fighting for the community because just remember, do you remember when Jesus had, was led by the Spirit and after he was uh, baptized and he went into the wilderness and defeated Satan uh, three times, he quoted, it is written, it is written, it is written. Then it says in Luke chapter 4 that Satan left him for an opportune time that he would come back for another opportunity to come after him. In other words, even when we defeat, we got to remember that we're still in a fight and the fight is on. And so that's why I chose today to go at the end of David's life to see what we can see from the end of his life. Well, the first thing we see that the biggest enemy for us can be complacency. The biggest enemy is that we celebrate and get excited about our past victories and forget that there's still challenges ahead. You talked about uh, the praise worship leader, talked about football, talked about the Dallas Cowboys, and then he mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles uh, who just won the Super Bowl. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to a sports team is winning because then you get relaxed and don't get hungry anymore. Yeah, and then, but now we push here, and so he, he had the many, now David had obstacles throughout his life. He had, he had his own challenges with his mentor, Saul, who tried to kill him on many times. He had a fight with family obstacles, with all kinds of things in his family that I don't have time to go with. And then he had to fight Goliath's family again. David grew old, he was old, and he had an old enemy come back, a dead enemy come back. A dead enemy come back because there was vengeance coming back to him. This is greater than any Avengers movie, including the Black Panther. This is great stuff, man. It doesn't get any better than this. I mean, I know Ragnarok, all of that, I know. Thanos is coming in Avengers, but this here, it talks of something great. And it tells there's three things that I see in this text that really flesh it out. First thing, I think three things that we can learn from David's fight that can apply to us today. First, that we must, that we must, first of all, we must recognize that it's impossible to get tired, that it is possible for us to get tired in the fight. First of all, we can get tired in the fight. The second thing we need to recognize is that we cannot fight by ourselves. We need someone to fight with us. And the third thing that I want to share with you just for a moment, that the fight gets uglier and uglier with time. Now, isn't that it's possible for you to get tired in this fight? It said here in the text in verse 15, when we saw it, it says, David and his servants went down to fight, but it said David grew tired. Now, I know we don't like to admit it, but sometimes we get tired fighting the good fight of faith. Sometimes you say, man, I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been tithing, I've been doing all these things, but it just seems like I'm getting tired. David experienced fatigue just as some of us do, but he kept fighting because he knew that it was necessary for his survival. Not only for his own personal survival, but the survival of the entire nation. One reason why it's so important for us to keep fighting is because it's not about us. One reason we get tired so easily or one reason why we give up, one reason why discouragement wrecks us so difficultly is because we forget that it's not about us. My vision it's not just small vision, it's about me, where I live, what kind of clothes I wear, where can I go shopping, what kind of food am I eating, do I have things for my children, what, what, what is the square footage of my house? That's very small vision. Big vision says, yeah, I may have to make some sacrifices, but my sacrifices will bless my children's 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 children. Real vision sees way beyond where I am. That God be a blessing. Lord have mercy. This church, Lord have mercy. The passing of the baton from the founding pastor to Pastor Dan even now talks about generations of people who've come through this church. But just imagine the 40 years, 40 plus years that this church has been here. Imagine if Jesus delays his coming, who and what will be happening here 40 years from now, even when some of us are gone? Have you thought about your children's 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 children? Have you prayed for their wives? Have you prayed for their husbands? Have you decided that the decisions that I make today will affect the generations? And my children's children's children will not have the baggage that I had because be with me. I will break the cycle of dysfunction. I will break the cycle of confusion that with me something must change. Lord have mercy. 
So maybe I won't have the nice car like you have. Maybe I won't have the big house like you have. Maybe I won't be wearing the things that you have. But I see something greater and it's worth fighting for. Maybe God, it seems like God has let me down because many of us start to feel like maybe God has let me down the more I pray. But you have not seen it all yet. Moses prayed. Moses did all he did to get them into the promised land, but he never got there himself. But by faith he believed, oh, but the nation can be there. Oh, I'm so excited that the decisions that we make can be a blessing to someone else. And so David became tired just as we do. But oftentimes we become tired, we become discouraged because we're looking at the wrong thing. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever done what's right? And then you look around and say, I'm doing right, and it seems like it's difficult for me, but other people seem to be blessed, and they could care less. You go to your job, and you're working. Other people are promoted, and they half work and are half qualified. You're overqualified, and you work double time. And you say, how am I not being promoted? Seems like you're doing all the right things. It's not going there. You're looking. It seems like people are talking bad about you. They're tweeting about you. I love it when people talk about me, though. They promote me. But, yeah. But they're doing all these things about you, but that's because we're looking at the wrong things and looking at the wrong people. Asaph had that problem in Psalm 73. But it tells me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, consider him, referring back to Jesus in the previous verse, who endured such hostility from sinners. Jesus endured hostility from sinners, the very ones that he could hold oxygen from. He endured hostility, and he said, consider him who endured hostility against sinners himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I want to say to you that when you keep your eyes on Jesus, the one that we're not ashamed of, the one that was the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who was able to hang on the cross, despise the shame, the one who was able to say, I'm not doing this for myself. They said, if you're such a great man, get down from the cross. But he stayed there anyway. And when you keep your eyes and say, if he could go through, I can go through. If he can make it, he did it for me. Galatians 3 says, he became a curse so that I can be blessed. And so when you get tired, don't look and compare yourself to the person you graduated from high school with. Don't look and compare yourself and, and to the people down the road. And definitely don't look and compare yourself to reality TV because that's just, that's not reality. But compare yourself and say, Lord Jesus, this, if you can do it for me, I can do it for others. If you can endure, you give me the power to endure. And this is why the scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You have overcome, little children. You will overcome no matter how tired you get. You have overcome, little children, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Just when I feel physically tired, I say, Lord, give me supernatural power to continue to endure. And this is why the scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 6, right about verse 7, it says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, I know we use that as a warning, but you got to keep looking. It says, for he who sows to the flesh will reap of corruption, but he who sows to the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Therefore, let us not be weary. Let us not grow tired in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not lose heart. What is the scripture telling us there? You keep sowing. You keep sowing. You keep sowing. You're going to reap what you have sown. What you have sown, you're going to reap. It may not, let me tell you, the, the, the bigger the harvest, sometimes the longer you must wait. Thank God. But if you keep opening up the ground and saying, where is it? You're going to have a problem. But don't get weary in doing well. For in due season, and I know I'm at Bethesda, so you understand and know it. But that due season, the Greek word for that due season is kairos. That God does it in his own time. That he defies the chronos. Chronos is seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, years, decades, centuries. And so many of us say, God, I've been doing the right things. I've been fighting a fight. But it looks like we're losing. Look at what the Supreme Court has done. Look at what my financial statement is saying. Look at what's going on. And it seems too late 
And God is saying, you know, because I'm outside of time, space, and matter, because I defy that, because I'm outside of that, because I can step in when I want, because the greatest miracles that I created all of this, and because I created all of this, I can step in and do what I want when I want. And I love to do it when it's too late. I love to bless you when it's too late. I love to touch your family when it seems too late. Because if I come what you think is on time, someone else will get the credit. You'll get the credit. Your degree will get the credit. Your job will get the credit. Your friends will get the credit. But when I come too late, then you'll have to testify like the psalmist said. And you'll have to say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be? He defied all the odds, and it's because the Lord is on my side. And then your life becomes a living testimony. When they say, how were you able to do it? Say, I don't know how I did it, but God did a miracle in my life. Hallelujah. So David got tired. You're going to get tired, but keep pushing in spite of it. Now, the second thing that we see here in the text I'm trying to move because I've never preached more than three hours, and I'm not going to break a record today. Yeah, the great thing about preaching, I got, you know, preaching in Africa, you can preach all day, and people say, is that all you have? You know? <laughs> the second part, after knowing that David got tired, recognize that we cannot fight this fight alone, that too often we are enveloped with pride, thinking that we can do it by ourselves. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody. I don't need anyone. I can just do it by myself. That's what's so beautiful about coming to church. Yes, you can see the message and the service on a live stream and on a website. But coming together, iron sharpens iron. We build one another up. We strengthen one another up. We pray for one another. David needed help. It says in, uh, in the scripture we see here, it says that Ishbi binob. Anybody know anyone named Ishbi Binob? Haven't met one yet. Ishbi Binob, Goliath's son, thought he could kill David. He thought that he could kill him. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, which means he's the brother of Joab, Abishai came to his aid. He didn't stand back. Abishai didn't stand back and say, ah, David's in trouble. Man, that's a big young guy. Let's see how he does. Hey, David, I'll pray for you, brother. Hallelujah. No, he came to his aid. Lord, have mercy. That, that if we are brothers and sisters, you are my brothers and sisters. I don't know where you're from. I don't know what your mother tongue is. I don't know what your language is. I don't know what you're going to eat for dinner. I don't know whether you are a vegan or a, a, a carnivore. It doesn't matter to me. You are my brother. I am closer to the people of Christ than I am to people in my own family. Because we have the same spiritual DNA. And so it is important for us to recognize that no one is even designed to make it on their own. I don't care how intelligent you are, how powerful you are, that someone must come to his aid. Abishai came to his aid, struck the Philistine, and killed him. He defended him. When was the last time you came to someone else's aid? When was the last time you saw someone look around church today, look at who's next to you, who's behind you, who's in front of you? How, how can you be a blessing to them? There's somebody too often we're looking to see who's going to encourage me, who's going to bless me, who's going to do this for me. But I found out that when you reach out to others, oh, Matthew 6.33 is in motion. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. It's impossible to stay depressed. You can get depressed, but it's impossible to stay depressed when you're reaching out and loving on other people. Oh, Lord, have mercy. It's impossible to stay depressed when you're not looking at self and what I don't have and what they did to me and start saying, How I am blessed to be a blessing. How can I be a blessing to others? I am blessed. Oh, maybe all I have is a loaf of bread, but I can give you a slice. Maybe all I have is just a little bit, but I can bless someone else. Maybe I don't feel like making it, but I can tell someone else that God is with them. And when you do that, God pours extra grace inside of you. We can't fight alone. We must fight together. Satan wants us to be separated. Michael, Pastor Michael, 
uh, your pastor came to pick me up from the airport yesterday. He and I went to the restaurant. What a great guy. I don't see him. He's somewhere ministering somewhere around here. Pastor Michael picked me up from the airport. So here's this black guy and a Latino guy in Dallas, Texas, going into a crowded restaurant. And so we're standing there, and somehow they missed us. We've been standing there a while, and they went to this white couple, and the white couple said, no, 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 they're before us. I said, wow, thanks. And then they went to them again, and they brought the seat. They said, no. The husband now says, no, they were before us. I said, wow. So they took us in. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks for fighting for us. Too often we, we're separated. We assume, we assume separation based on preconceived presuppositions that we see one another. You white, I'm black. I don't even know what white means. No, really. I'm, I, what does white even mean? Uh, there's no such thing as white. First of all, white people are not even white. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. I mean, I know there's Polish, there's Irish, I know there's Italian, all kinds of nationalities, but white, where did that even come from? Black, where did that come from? I know there's Yoruba, I know there's Hausa and Zulu, but I don't know even what white, black, yellow, green, what, what, what? As a matter of fact, we're all God's people. Lord, have mercy. And so we got to recognize we are God's people. No matter what they try to tell us that we hate one another, more of us love one another than they will say, oh, have mercy. Phew. Dan loved me and I love Dan. And he looks like, well, I look like him without hair. Yeah. Yeah, he got hair. I don't have hair. <laughs> that we come together. And we notice, notice that David's group of men and women that were around him was a multicultural group. They were all Jews, but they had come from different nationalities. We even see in verse 18, it says, Sebachi, the Hushite. He was not an Israelite. He was a Hushite. Now, anybody been a Hush? But he's a Hushite. <laughs> Sebachi, the Hushite, killed Saf, who was one of the sons of the giant. This was a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational group. United force, united under the banner of the people of God, united under the battle, the banner of the fact that we are the sons and daughters of God. And so here they are, that Sebachi fought for him, Abishai helped him. And in 1 Corinthians, it tells us, now I plead with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no division among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment as we fight together. Our biggest enemy is not one another. Our biggest enemy is the evil of the kingdom of darkness that continues to try to destroy the humanity and destroy God's creation. You're not different than me. I'm not different than you. I just want to live. I want my family to thrive. I want to be in peace. We all want the same thing. But we look out and we see what's happening around us. And what happens is that too often we don't come to one another's aid. We step back. On The View the other day, the woman said on The View, the, the, the TV show The View, she said Christians are mentally ill. Well, some people who were not Republicans said, well, he was talking about Pence. People who were Republicans said, well, this is a, a liberal. No, this was not about liberal or conservatism. It was not about a political party. It was about the fact that Christianity was attacked and the church must unite and say, we are not mentally ill. We hear from Jesus every day in Jesus' name. We're not mentally ill. We stand together. Whether you're Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ, Baptist, Presbyterian, we stand together and don't allow the enemy to divide us. That when we're able to stand and say, I need you, you need me. Your gift, your talents, your skills that God has given you was to be a part of this army so that we together can win in the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, hallelujah. I'm excited. I'm pushing. Sorry. Don't clap. No, but anyway, James chapter 3 says, if there is division... James chapter 3, verse 14, it says, if you, if you have bitter envy uh, and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And it continues to say in the next verse, it says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. 
when we're fighting against one another, when we cannot get along with one another, when we cannot stand together, this is not God. It is demonic. And Satan is keeping us divided so that he can destroy us. He wants to divide our homes. He wants to divide our neighborhoods. He wants to keep us away from one another. But when we talk, we find that we speak the mysteries of God. When we talk, we find that we speak and we have more in common that God is speaking through us that we can stand and fight. And so it's not black versus white, Latino versus American, rich versus poor, suburb versus city dweller. The list can go on and gone on, but it's that we are God's family. And when we recognize that we're God's family, we can fight the fight and God can be glorified in America and around the world. The fight is not over. The fight is not over, but I need you, and you need me. We must stand together. This is why we're trying to end abortion. And I know you have embraced grace here at this church. In our denomination, uh, as I began to lead the uh, missions department, he said 79 countries, now we're in 87. We're advancing and growing. But I couldn't go all around the world. I'm going all around the world, and I see genocide right in my backyard, as I mentioned earlier. I see children being killed at an alarming rate and began to say, okay, so people fundamentally know that abortion is wrong, but why are they doing it? And I began to say that if we're going to really stop abortion, we have to have people in our church to adopt the children that would have been aborted. <laughs> Hallelujah. We got to adopt the children. So I started preaching all over my church, all over our denomination, all over the country saying it's bad, it's wrong now. I need you to sign up and help me that when we have an abortion-determined woman and when we convince her not to have an abortion but she doesn't want to have the baby, that you will take that child in your home. And now I have people of God that are signing up and saying, we'll take that child in our house. Oh, I'm excited about it. Because until we, we can talk, we can talk, but until we offer real solutions, we're in trouble. And I found that we do have the ability to do it. Because even people that told me, no, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford it. I don't know if I have space in my house. I began to look at the ASPCA statistics. ASPCA. 3.6 million dogs and cats are adopted every year in America. And while babies are being killed, people are calling dogs their babies. And I said, oh, God. Do you mean to tell me, and now, not in Texas, because my people are from here. They don't do this here. But in weird places around the country, weird places, not like Texas, this is normal people. They're taking in, they're taking babies. They buy clothes for the dog. They buy special food for the dog. They give the dog a room in their house. They even, Pastor Dan, you won't believe this. I know you get around. They buy health insurance for dogs. No, serious. I had someone that got a hip replacement for their dog. And they were saying, yeah, the dog needed a hip replacement. Now, back when I was young, my grandfather's from Atlanta, Texas. And my grandfather, the best thing we did for our dog was put hay in the doghouse when it was cold outside. You know, the best thing we did, and you know, gave him the bones. But people are loving on animals more than they love on people. And I began to look and say, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with my people when we see the foster care roles that are overflowing with children with terminated rights of their parents waiting to be adopted and no one adopts them. And when they turn 18, they terminate, uh, they, they age out when they turn 18, which means that at the age of 18, the day you turn 18, you're on your own, figure it out. They're left there by themselves. Imagine if you were 18 and that day they just said you're grown, you're on your own. You figure out what to eat. You figure out what to do. You figure out how to, where to go. Hence, human trafficking. Hence, uh, not finishing high school, never getting degrees, and more likely to become criminals would be of those individuals because no one took them in. When I talk of coming to my aid, coming to aid means that you're going to someone who really needs help. You can come to my aid, but really, I'm pretty much okay. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. What about the least of these? What about those who are in need? What about those who are laying there saying, I need love? And you, you can bring them here to this beautiful mega church to enjoy 
all of the great things. And instead of buying health insurance, you can send them to Bethesda Christian School. And the next leaders of the nation will be the one that you saved from extermination, just like Moses was saved. I can't allow a pagan queen of an African queen who took in Moses, who did not serve the God of the Bible, to beat us. This is the woman who did not serve the God of a Bible. This African queen who saw this baby who should have been killed and took, her in, took him in and raised him like his own. We, my wife and I have 11 children, but we're getting our home study, getting ready to adopt a couple or more. Because we just feel like, hey, God does it. And all my children, they, I don't have college fund, by the way. They all get academic scholarships. So I'm good. I'm married up. I married a smart woman, and we homeschool. So, yeah. <laughs> I married a smart woman. We homeschool. We're good. And so I'm saying, God, give me to come to the aid of my brothers and my sisters. These young ones, we don't know who is coming up. We don't know what's coming past us. But God, give me to go beyond that and give me to go beyond myself. And if it means that I won't have certain things, it's worth the sacrifice. And then finally, my brothers and sisters, finally, my brothers and sisters, in my last hour, The fight is getting uglier and uglier. Satan is getting bolder and bolder. In the text that we just read, we saw that the fight got uglier and uglier. There was one giant killed. There was another giant killed by Abishai. There was another giant killed by uh, Ishbi Benob with the giant. And now this next giant that comes, the final giant, had six fingers on each hand and six toes. So... He said, what time is it? He said, six. You know, just, <laughs> six, six o'clock. <laughs> six fingers, six toes. Where did he buy shoes? I don't know. This was an ugly guy. Six fingers, six toes. He was ugly. Goliath was ugly. He was uglier. It gets uglier. And all of his life, his life aim and goal was to destroy David and the people of God, because the enemy has a long game and has patience. There are things that's interesting. It's interesting, my brothers and sisters, how we as Christians can be so short-sighted. I talked about that a moment ago, but I want to reiterate that point. We can be so short-sighted and don't see the ramifications of things that happened in the past. I was interested. I was in South Africa. He told you I lived in South Africa 12 years. And uh, when people were in shock that the Supreme Court made gay marriage illegal in America illegally, uh, people were shocked. I said, you know what I was shocked about? I was shocked that you were shocked. I was shocked that people were shocked because they had been working on it since the 1970s. This wasn't new. They had been working on it since the 1970s, and finally it came to pass because they were working a long game. They've been working on that. I'm shocked that people don't know right now what they're teaching in our universities now and how there are people who are advocates, the same type of people, advocates for uh, all kinds of things, are advocates now for pedophilia to be legal in the future. They're working on it. That's the long game. They know it won't happen now, but we just keep rolling it out to you. You guys will be off the scene. Your children will take it because there's no such thing as truth anyway. And this is what they're saying. It's shocking to me what is happening around us to see the long game and see what's happening ahead of us. And so the fight gets uglier and uglier, bolder and bolder. The enemy has become bolder because it feels like he thinks that the Christians or those who are following Christ and the kingdom of light are bagging up. But I'm here to say that there's an army that's marching forward. And we have to not be ashamed of the gospel. I love that song. We cannot be ashamed of speaking up for Christ. We cannot be ashamed of saying that I'm a believer and I'm a believer in Christ. We cannot be ashamed of sharing the gospel even with those who don't believe there's a God. Because it takes more faith to be an atheist anyway. If I had the time, I'd talk about it. But I only have an hour left. So it takes much more faith to be an atheist. The laws of science, the laws of nature, the laws of physics, the laws of, of logic all show that there has to be a creator. But the enemy is getting uglier and uglier. 
We see things coming right in our face, coming right closer to us. We see things that are happening, and the oppression that comes in our minds, our spirits, and our homes is something that's not to be played with. But yet, it says here, he had six hands, he had six toes, 24 in number, but they fought against him, and they defeated him. They fought this ugly fight. And I'm saying to you that it is ugly. It's very difficult what we see. It's very difficult what's before us. It's very difficult. I'm, I'm passionate about uh, the, the fundamental, li- fundamental right to live. I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about the billions of people who are being destroyed through what I talked about, the fight, fight for life. I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about women who are being deceived and 70% more likely to have breast cancer because of abortions and the PTSD and the, and the miscarriages and the 75% of abortion clinics that are in black and brown communities as genocide. I'm passionate about that, and I see how ugly it becomes. I'm passionate about the fact that many parents' rights, that our children are going to school, coming home speaking different languages. Thank God for your Christian school. I'm passionate about what's happening in our society. But the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I say to you, my brothers and sisters, you're believers. Many of you are believers, long-term believers. I pray that the sign of the believer be manifest in your life. I pray that the signs of a believer, the sign of a believer is not only my T-shirt or my bumper sticker. It's not only my fact to have a cross that I wear around my neck, which is all wonderful. But Mark chapter 16, verse 16 and 17 gives me the signs of a believer. And I pray that you will walk, not just coming to church on Sunday, not just coming to prayer tonight and on Bible study this week, but I pray that you will walk in the signs of a believer. It says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then it says in verse 17, and these signs shall follow those that believe. This is not just for the pastor. This is not just for the board of elders. This is not just for the leaders in the church. This is for all of us. Ordinary Christians have supernatural power. And said, these signs shall follow those that believe. In this fight you are equipped. In my name you will cast out demons. Not only will you cast demons out of individuals, but there are demons that are institutional demons. Demons that inhabit institutions like hospitals and police departments and places of that sort. You will cast them out, the demons out of the schools. You'll cast the demons out of areas. And then there are demons that inhabit geographical areas and run geographical areas. And you will cast the demons out of the areas where you live, where you stay, and where you are. And you will be to say, in Jesus' name, you must come out because I am light and salt in dark places. Not only will you cast out demons, but it says you will speak with new tongues. You were speaking new tongues, and we know that tongues not only edify ourselves and strengthen us, but a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And they will take up serpents. You will take up the devil himself and be able to handle him. Even if the devil bites you, even when you stare, you can just shake him off just as David did. And then it says, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. If I had the time, I would tell you about when I first moved to Africa and was appointed to the church where I was appointed. And... Uh, we had a special dinner. My wife was eight months pregnant, and we ate a wonderful dinner. The next morning, people came to the house, and they said, we're so sorry we heard your wife is sick. No, it was early, 7 o'clock in the morning. No, my wife's not sick. And my wife came out in, in Africa. Somebody comes to your house, you make them tea. And it was four older women, and my wife said, I'm going to go make you tea. And they jumped up and said, no, and they ran out the house. Four days later, they came back. One, one of the women came back, and she was crying, weeping. She said, I know your God is alive. I know your God is real. We came on Monday morning after the dinner because I had put enough poison in your wife's food to kill three people. But she won't die. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, not, tell, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. And she said, but she won't die. And she, and she said, and so please forgive me. She's weeping and she's crying. Please forgive me, but I fear that the baby that she's carrying, something's going to be wrong with that child. 
And I began to declare in the name of Jesus right then. I said, in Jesus' name, we are believers. And the same poison that did not affect my wife will not affect this child. He shall be a prophet to the nations. And, and, and he will be an apostle. We even named him apostle. His name's Mtume in Swahili. That means apostle. Ask him. Ask him down the hall. Mtume. Tume means apostle. We named him apostle. Said he will not die. She become one of our strongest members because I'm here to tell you that you are equipped for the fight. Nothing is too dangerous. Nothing is too bad. The devil cannot take you down. No, I don't care how powerful they are. They will not bring you down. And many people, some of those women left, but many people came because they knew that my wife was supposed to die. We said we're believers and we don't die before our time. We die when God says it's our time. And now is not the time. Now is the time for living. And when I die, that's a promotion on my behalf. When I die, that's my time. And so until I die, I'm going to live in the time that God has given me and do what he has. Then he's saying they can lay hands on the sick. The sick in mind, the sick in heart, the sick in body, and they shall recover. And I say to you, my brothers and sisters, walk in boldness. The fight is not over. The fight is not done. You know why people love superhero movies? It's because ordinary people have an encounter and they do something extraordinary. Bruce Banner, regular guy. Gamma radiation. He's now the Hulk. Peter Parker, regular guy. Get bitten by a spider. He's now Spider-Man. King Chachala, regular guy. He drinks the Black Panther stuff, comes out flipping around, doing great things. And I can go on and on and on again. When I tell you that the fight is on, my brothers and sisters, the world is looking for regular people like you and I who have an encounter with Jesus, who can come out doing supernatural things. Regular people who can do supernatural things. And we will win. In Jesus' name, somebody shout hallelujah. We win this fight. It ain't over, but it's in God's time. Hallelujah. Everybody stand with me even right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. Thank you for everyone that is here. You designed for us to be here. And I speak even right now, the days are dark. But that is greater time for the light to shine. Give us to shine in the name of Jesus. And give us to fight the good fight of faith. And I speak even right now, encourage and strengthen somebody. Empower us to be able to stand for you. In the name of Jesus, your grace be upon us. And Father, I speak even right now that you would do miraculous works through those who are listening. You are uploading miraculous and ministry ideas in our minds and our hearts. How we can impact our family, our extended family, our communities, this nation, and the world. Now give us the courage, just as David's men did, to step out and fight this fight and finish the faith. I rebuke every demonic force that comes to hinder us. And I speak freedom in our minds. I rebuke fear. I rebuke doubt. I rebuke frustration. And I speak even right now, we are free to walk in our purpose. And if you agree with that prayer, just shout amen. amen. Shout amen.